0: Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Amen. And so tonight in our, in our message, we are just going to go through the first nine verses of chapter 5. Uh, and the reason for that is because Solomon um, gets on a theme for those nine verses and then he changes uh, gears completely starting in verse 10. And so rather than try to put two messages in one night, uh, we'll do take the first nine verses tonight, which are on the topic of prayer, and then um, next week, we'll get into uh, the rest of five and then into six, where he gets into the theme of, uh, of money. And so, um, you know, kind of next week's message is stuck in the money trap, uh, some, some insight and wisdom concerning wealth and money um, from Solomon, the man who knew something about it. Um, but tonight, we talk about prayer. And, and uh, originally, um, when I first was planning out the, the messages and going through how we we're going to go through this, I gave this message, the, the original title, it was shut up. Um, Some perspective on prayer and you'll understand where that came from when we actually get into the text Um, But then I um, as I was kind of going through it again I thought well that might not be God's heart towards us And I might be misrepresenting his heart uh, and what he really is really wanting to say to us through it by saying that I don't want to misrepresent God so I renamed the message um, Get out of the babble box Which is a little bit nicer way um, to say what Solomon is about to say to us. Uh, but basically what we have tonight is Solomon um, taking kind of a break from his theme. And, and the theme really of the book has been, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Why are we here? And that has been very strictly what he's been talking on uh, from the beginning of the book till now. But now he kind of breaks for these nine verses and he, he kind of takes off the, um, the, the, the hat of the... Um, the one who's giving testimony, and he puts on the hat of the uh, teacher for a moment, and he's going to begin to talk to us just about this conversation, this privilege that we have uh, to talk to God, that we have this amazing connection with him. And so he breaks stride, and he's going to talk to us about prayer. Now, whenever that word comes up or the concept of prayer comes up, um, sometimes there can be a little bit of an intimidation factor uh, if we're honest, because... You know, when we think about talking to God, you know, sometimes that can sound a little scary. It can sound a little bit mysterious. Uh, It can sound a little bit too close, maybe, a little bit, um, you know, more advanced. Like, that's level two Christianity, and I I don't know if I'm really there yet. You know, I kind of consider myself someone who prays, but I'm not really expert in prayer and you know prayer kind of triggers all of these kind of thoughts and emotions in us when we hear about it and you know the the fact of the matter is that prayer is a huge theme in the bible i mean it's really one probably of the top three i mean if god is one who god is and then his word is two, which reveals who he is. Number three would have to be prayer, which, uh, you know, then really comes down to the connecting point in the relationship between man and God. And so for me, when I consider that, when I realize how big prayer is and really how important it is, it almost makes me a little bit excited because, you know, when you, when you really look at it from 35,000 feet, you have, you know, fallen, needy man and you have a holy powerful all-knowing God and there's this way that those two extremes can be connected you can take someone as lowly and needy as man and something as powerful and high as God and if there's a way that that somehow we can be put in front of him or that we can connect with him then that kind of excites me secretly as well because it means that there's a way that I can get my cause in front of God. And so a sermon on prayer um, doesn't have to intimidate us. It can excite us uh, to realize that, you know, we can gain some insight into how to do this. And, you know, there's some things about prayer, some aspects of prayer That absolutely amaze me. You know, my kids are on this thing right now. Actually, I think it's eternal. It never really goes away where they love flashlights. And I think we have, uh, I think we have about 576 flashlights in our home at, at my last count. And nowadays, almost all flashlights run on AAA batteries. And so AAA batteries have almost become like Legos. You know, uh, you know, we just have drawers full of AAA batteries and God only knows which ones actually work and which ones are expelled. I mean, there's AAA batteries in the couch cushions, under the couch, and everything seems to take AAA batteries. The Wii remotes, the flashlights, like everything now is AAA. You know, when I was young, it was AA, which was the bigger ones. The AAA, those tiny little batteries... Uh, That really hurt when you step on them in the middle of the night, you know, right in your heel, you know, right there that hurts, you know Um, But but I like triple-a batteries because they're small um, But they're very powerful they last for a long time and you can get a lot of use out of something so small and uh, And so when I think about prayer sometimes I I like to think of it in terms of like that triple-a battery And there's really triple-a's there's three things about prayer uh, that really amaze me One is, first of all, that it's an amazing invitation to to really think that you and I are invited by God to be in his presence and to talk to him. And that's an amazing level of clearance to think that we have an audience with God Almighty. You know, and so I think of, um, you know, Joseph that we studied in in the book of Genesis. And, you know, he he was in this issue where he really needed help. He was in prison unjustly, and and he was kind of like his life was wasting away before his eyes, and he really needed help. And the person that could help him was the king. Only there was a big barrier, and Joseph, who was needy, couldn't get in front of the one man who had authority to help him in his cause. And he had this opportunity when the cupbearer of the king was imprisoned for a short season. And there was kind of like this bridge between the prison and the palace in the person of this cupbearer that was in prison with Joseph. And Joseph sees the opportunity and he asks this cupbearer to speak to the king on his behalf so that he can get an audience with the king who can maybe help him with his cause. And so Joseph does that. But the problem was that the cupbearer forgot about Joseph once he was reinstated into his position. And what was an almost access became a failed attempt because the man forgot. And I'm sure that for Joseph, this kind of idea of having clearance and access to authority really meant something. But the day finally did come, if you follow it, with Joseph, that he did gain access to the king and and was able then to present his cause and and he was helped with his cause now just put yourself right in that situation you have a need and it's beyond your resources and your ability to do something about it and you feel a barrier between yourself and the one who can help you with the need that you have and so we have this amazing invitation that's given to us by god that goes around every barrier and every, you know, red tape, every level of security, clearances, and privilege, and we can go before the God of the whole universe, and we can freely express our cause to the one who has power to help in every situation. And when you really think about the level of access and the privilege that that is, that's an amazing thing. It amazes me. It's an amazing invitation. We also have in prayers we have an amazing audience is that not only are we invited by God to come and it's one thing to be invited but it's a whole other thing that once we get there that the person who invited us is actually caring and listening to what it is that we're saying and bringing in in, 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 you know and hearing the cause that we bring before him And, and again I just think about Joseph he comes before Pharaoh And now he's got one opportunity to impress the king enough to actually do something about his cause. Now, for Joseph, that worked out because Joseph had something that the king needed, and thus the king was impressed. I don't have that. And so I come before God, and I'm like, all right, this is my one chance. I'm before the king of the whole universe. And I go, uh, you know, and and I don't know what to say. I can't formulate the words. And to realize that not only am I invited in the way that I am, but he cares enough about me that he's willing there to help me get the words out, and then he wants me to cast those cares upon him because he wants to help. He's waiting for that. And so I have this amazing audience with God. I also have with God amazing action. And that is this, that God promises this, that not only are we invited to come, not only does he hear us and care, But he says that if we will ask, we will receive. If we will seek him and seek from him, we will find both him and the answer to the thing that we're bringing before him. And he says that if we knock, that the door will be opened. And so not only are we invited and heard, but God says, when you ask, I'm going to answer. Jesus would say, ask and you will receive that your joy might be full. And so for me, that's like the AAA a battery, this small thing that seems like not much, but that has such an amazing power that's just been given to us, this privilege, this invitation, the audience that we have, and the help that He gives to us. There's one more thing that amazes me about prayer, and I don't want to include it with the AAA, but it, it does amaze me, at least in my own life. And that is my inactivity, is that for having this amazing thing at my disposal how little I do of it, and how weak I am in it. For the, for the power that's available in it, how little I pray, sometimes it amazes me. When I think about my, my own prayer life, and I've been walking with the Lord for about 20 years now, so uh, I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm really, in the grand scheme of things, like an infant of, of days, because, I mean, I'm, I'm eternal, right? If we know Jesus, we live forever. And so, like, when you think about your life in the context that you're still going to be around in about a billion years... If you've been born again for 20, you're like an infant, all right? So I don't care if you're in here and you've been walking with God for 60 years, you're still an infant too. So I'm not coming at this as though I'm an expert, but I can look at how my prayer life has developed over the years of my walking with the Lord. And and what I have learned is that there are different kinds of prayer, that not all prayer is the same. Now, if you just think about it logically and you look at, the the relationship that god tells us that we have with him he god puts labels on our relationship with him and what he does is he called us first of all he calls us his friends and there's a certain interaction that happens between friends friends relate on a particular level he also calls us his spouse we're the bride of christ And there's a certain level of communication and interaction and relationship that happens on that intimate spousal level. He also calls us sheep. Now, that's not the most flattering thing that you can be called as a human being, but you can't escape the reality that in the Bible more than once, God likens his people unto sheep, and that also has a particular inference in terms of the communication and the level of conversation and relationship that happens between shepherd and sheep and then he also calls us his servants and there's a level of communication and a type of communication that would happen between a master and his servant or someone who is serving the master now all four of those relationships are simultaneously real And so in the context of that, I've realized and learned over the years that there are different types of prayer, different ways that I talk to God in the confines of those various relationships. There is the type of prayer that I would just call idle chatter. And idle chatter really happens it's kind of like when i just go for a drive with someone or i go for a drive with my wife and there's really there's no agenda there's nothing really to talk about we just kind of speak back and forth as the occasion uh, affords you know or as the occasion dictates and there's nothing planned about it we're just talking and so we we just chat and and that's kind of what paul was talking about when he said uh in first thessalonians 5:17 when he said pray without ceasing He's saying that it's okay to just idly chatter with God because he's your friend and that's what we do with our friends. We just idly chatter. There's really just no agenda at all. And so there's prayer that's just idle chatter. It's part of what we pray. It's part of how we pray. There's also a second form of prayer that I'll call meaningful conversation. A meaningful conversation is something that maybe wasn't planned. Usually meaningful conversation is not scripted. It's not something that we we think about ahead of time. But sometimes you just get engaged with another human being and you start talking about things on a deeper level. And it that happen between me and my wife that at, at, at a, an unplanned time, we'll just get going on something and we'll go with it. And it's very energizing. It's very um, stimulating. And it's very uh, deepening. It's connecting. There's just something about the conversation that we're having with each other. And that happens in our relationship with the Lord, at least for me. There's times where, where I'll just be in the unexpected place and God just gets me on something. And there's almost a back and forth, and it's totally silent with me because I'm not an outward person. If you know Pastor Bobby, he's totally, everything is said. Every word comes out. So he does this down the halls of the church. He does this in his office. Like he's just conversating out loud, and you're just wondering, what is he hearing, you know? For me, it's not. For me, I'll be walking down the aisle of Home Depot and I'll see three people from church and I won't even recognize that they're there because sometimes God gets me on something and there's this back and forth. I'm hashing something out. I'm, I'm, I'm but, but Lord, I know, but, but what about this? And then there's a, there is a response. It's not audible. It's not like I hear, well, Nick, it's, it's not like that, but, but I'll wait. And then there's a verse or there's some wisdom or an example, something that helps me understand where I'm at there, and then I can respond. And there's this meaningful conversation, unscripted, that happens. It's part of prayer. Another uh, form of prayer, type of prayer, is what I'll call the quick text message or the quick phone call. And I, again, I do this most often with my wife, um, wherein it's real quick. You know, what did you say that number was? Why did you spend $150 at Target? You know, you get the idea. It's the quick piece of information that I need. What time am I supposed to pick up whoever from wherever? You know, where was that again? Is there anything going on tonight that I need to know about? It's the quick message. You know, and I, and I have a few friendships And and I hope everyone has at least one of these where maybe you have a friend that you haven't spoken to in two weeks or a month or maybe even a year, but you can call them and just say, hey, remember that book you told me about like four years ago that, you know, by this, what was the name of that again? Okay, thanks, and hang up and not feel like you did anything wrong because you didn't say, how's your wife? How's your kids? How's everything going? Yeah. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you, you know. And, and, And so with God, It's the same thing, wherein there are times where there's that quick text message prayer, Lord, help, or Lord, what do I do in this situation, or Lord, please change this, or Lord, I don't know what to say to this person who just talked to me. And that's a form of prayer that's valid that you can have with God because of the relationship that we have with him. We're sheep, right? And so sometimes sheep are just like, ah, there's a wolf, help me, I'm going to die, you know? And God responds to that. And then the fourth type of prayer that, that I have um, experienced and found uh, my life with the Lord is what I'll call the business meeting. And I know that sounds intimidating when I say it that way, but it, it's really something that happens all the time in our lives. Now, this happens in our human relationships. When I just think about my marriage with my wife, we have business meetings. Now, a lot of times, you know, there is, and it really kind of is like that. It's scheduled. There's an agenda there's a meeting place. There are issues that need to be addressed and resolved. There's action that needs to be concluded upon and then things that need to be done on the other side of it. We just did this last night and it had to do with uh, Christmas and what we're doing for the kids, you know, and how that's all going to work out. And so we actually scheduled a time when we would sit down and we had paper and iPad in front of us and we went through and we just discussed things and hashed things out and figured out like what's going where and what do we do for this one's birthday and you know you you know what it is as parents to go through and kind of do that and then you say okay you're gonna do this i'm gonna do this we're gonna move forward in this way and we have time to investigate on the things that we don't know about yet and we just had like an interaction we just literally had a business meeting in the midst of our relationship and there is a time and and a need for part of our prayer life with god to be that official there's the business meeting prayer And there's a time when we say, okay, I'm setting aside this time to talk to God. These are the things that we need to hash out and work out and discuss. And there needs to be direction and there needs to be, you know, action that takes place on the other side of the conclusions that we come to. And there has to be some official meeting here. And that's an important element in in prayer. Now, my mistake for many years is that I really thought that every prayer time with the Lord had to be like the business session. And so, like, you know, we call this meeting to order, and I open it the right way, and I say the right things, and, you know, then we go through, and, oh, I can't say what I need until I've first, you know, done this, and and this whole thing. And, And that was a stumbling block for a long time, and it has helped me over the years to realize that all prayer is not the same. And that there's a time and a place for all of it. Now I share all of that with you because really it's the fourth of these types of prayer. The business meeting that Solomon is going to talk to us about here in these nine verses. It's kind of like when you need to go to God and you've got more or less a grocery list of things. Whether or not things that he got your attention about that, you know, you're in, you know, in trouble and you need to discuss with him or things that you need or, you know, and and you're going to God and you're bringing your life before him because you have need. You know, you're in that place where you need God to move. You need God to help. And so uh, Solomon's going to talk to us and give us some perspective on that because there is a side of God, our holy God, who is very serious about our lives Very serious about his will for our lives and where he's seeking to move us in the big picture of things in our life. And so it's very important for us to be in tune and in check with him concerning those things so that we don't waste time and wander. And Solomon's going to give us some insight about how to interact with God when we come to Him in that way where we need specific direction or a specific answer or specific vision in our lives for a particular uh, season or cause. I also need to say this as before we get into these uh, nine verses, is that I believe that part of the reason why Solomon is so official in the way that he addresses this subject here is because in an Old Testament context, really all they had was the business meeting they didn't have the the full new testament relationship that you and i have by the spirit of god in christ the whole concept of being the friend of god didn't exist prior to jesus laying down his life and giving us of his spirit and saying to us in john 15 that we're his friends They didn't have the concept of uh, the spouse, you know, being the bride and and being that free in our interaction. That was foreign to the Old Testament uh, people of God. You know, they weren't there, you know. So Solomon doesn't really address prayer in the fullness of the way that we understand it in the context of the whole scriptures, which is part of the reason why what he says kind of sounds very official. But understand that it really does apply, but it applies to that part of our prayer when we're coming to God like Joseph came before Pharaoh, you know, where there's a, there's a reason why I'm here right now. And there's a reverence and a respect and an honor and an understanding of who you are and a fear of of who I'm talking to. And so in that context, Solomon basically is going to give to us his advice and he's going to give us four insights Uh, concerning our approach to God when we come to Him um, in, in that official place of prayer that's so essential for all of us. The first thing, and if you're taking notes, you'll want to write this down, that he tells us in the first three verses, is that when we come to God, we should be more poised to hear than to speak. We should be more poised to hear what He wants to say to us than what we want to say to Him. Notice what he says as he begins uh, there in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, keep your foot when you go to the house of God. Now, that is a polite King James way of saying, watch your step. When he says, keep your foot, he says, watch your step. In the Hebrew language, it kind of gives the idea of choreography. And if you think of something as being choreographed, it's planned out. It's thought through. If someone is choreographed in their step, they have already calculated where they're placing their feet, what they're going to do, what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to sound like. It's rehearsed in that way. And what he's saying there is he's saying, listen, watch your step when you go into the house of God. Now, he's not talking about church there. He's not talking about the temple in the Old Testament. He's talking about the greater house. That is, when you come into God's presence... As the king, and in the context of who you are, in the light of who he is, do it soberly. He's saying, watch your step when you come into the house of God. And he says, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. He tells us that we're to be ready to hear, that we're to come expecting that God is going to give us something to do. That whether there's some adjustment that needs to be made in my thinking, or there's some action that needs to take place on my part, or there's some doing in, in the context of my life, I'm to come before God with the attitude and expectation that He has something to say to me. One of my favorite parts of the week uh, here at the church. Um, and, and I, I know that you're saying, what is it going to be? You know, there's some expectation in that sentence, but really one of my favorite parts of the week is the staff meeting. We have our staff meeting on Tuesday mornings and, uh, the staff meeting is always like, uh, it's kind of like a happy meal, McDonald's. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. And it, and it really is that exciting. Like you don't know what, what's going to happen in the staff meeting. But the reason why it's my favorite time of the week is because that's when things get done. That's when work happens here here in the fellowship when all of the leadership that that is most engaged most of the time comes together and everything is aired out and, and issues are put forward, vision is kind of discussed, uh, the future, the past, present, and future is, is looked at, you know, and, and things like that. I love that time because there's, there's actually a discussion, a conversation, there's a plan of action, and then there's an execution and things move forward. And without that, everything just flounders and wanders and there's nothing, nothing done. And what Solomon is basically saying to us here is that, listen, when you come to God, with needs, when you come to God in prayer and you have things to discuss, approach it in this way: that there's going to be a conversation that's going to happen. There's going to be issues that are addressed, things that are brought up, and then action that has to happen so that things can can execute and change. Essentially, what he's saying is: come with expectation. Come with expectation that God is going to do something, that He is going to say something uh, on things. And he says, don't give the sacrifice of fools. Now, what's the sacrifice of fools? Here's what it is. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down real quick. Is is the sacrifice of fools is to offer away any perception of intelligence on the altar of wanting to hear yourself talk. (laughs) That's the sacrifice of fools. It's just, you come in and you're just chattering with no aim, no direction. You've got nothing uh, to, to say. He says, for they consider not... That they that do this do evil. And the words do evil there, just basically, you could write near it in your margin, you could write, they're out of line. They're just coming to God, but they're not there with the right heart. Then he goes on um, and he unfolds this a little bit more, this whole concept of being more poised to hear than to speak in verse two, when he says, Be not rash with your mouth. The word rash means hasty, hastened, hurried, speedy, or thrusted. And the idea is when you come into God's presence, don't give God the impression that you're wasting or he's wasting your time. You know, like, OK, God, I got two minutes. And let's just get this done and over with. Right? There's a real lack of perception and understanding if you come to God that way. So don't be hasty with your mouth and let not your heart be hasty to utter anything before God. And here's why he says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, listen carefully to me on this because what Solomon is saying here is not in the context of limitation, meaning, you know, that you only have so many words, like a tweet, 260 characters and get your prayer out and you know get it done that's not the idea it's not limitation it's liberation and that is that you don't have to feel like you have to have this great oration that you need to bring to god when you come to him in prayer what he's saying is that be calculated be intentional and keep it simple you don't have to be like okay god this is the reason i'm coming you because i feel this way and 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 describe the whole you don't have to do that you can keep it very simple very concise and you can just talk to god in this way when we look at how jesus taught us to pray matthew chapter 6 the lord's we call it the lord's prayer you know it was very concise it wasn't a long thing he just basically is saying this is the calculated way that we're to go about talking to God. It's just simple. And, you know, we address Him as who He is. We speak of His holiness. We acknowledge His kingdom as the first priority. We acknowledge His will as being First and foremost on earth as it is in heaven and in our lives and then we bring him our requests Give us this day our daily bread and we ask for his protection and his covering keep us from temptation And we pray for his leading in our lives that he would direct our paths And then we give him honor and glory as the king and, and jesus was saying listen, it can be very simple And yet it can be thought out It can be intentional and calculated that you know who it is uh, That you're talking to now Why is it? And how is it that we can be brief before God and yet still be effective? And here's why. Because the Bible says three things. It says, first of all, that he knows our need before we ask. It says that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. In Matthew 6, 8, it says that he knows what we need before we even ask. And so he's already got that all figured out before our mouth opens up. The second thing that he tells us is in Psalm 139, verse 2. He tells us that he already knows the thoughts that we were thinking before we thought about them. He knew what we were thinking about that motivated us to prayer before the thought even was clearly formulated within us to do it. So not only does he know what we need, he knows what we're thinking. And then the third thing we're told in Scripture is that he already knows the plans that he has for us. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. And you guys know the verse, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, and the other versions, it says, I know the plans, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. You say, well, that clears up everything for me. We can close out this Bible study because what you just told me is that I don't need to pray. Because if God knows what I need, and God knows my thoughts, and God knows his plans, then what in the world am I even coming to him for because he's already got it all figured out? Error. And here's why. Because the purpose behind my praying is not to move and adjust the hand of God in my life as much as it is the fact that I don't know what I need, even though he does. I don't know how to make sense of these thoughts and where their proper application and landing place is. I don't know what is planned for my future, And a part a big part of my coming before him is not me laying it out before heaven but rather heaven revealing what I need on earth and that happens in prayer thus making prayer important see he knows what I need and he wants to communicate that to me and so it's very important that I do it he wants to let me in on these things notice what he says in verse 3 he says for a dream And the word dream, you could just write nearby the word fantasy. For a fantasy comes through the multitude of busyness, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. Now, what's he saying here in this verse? He's saying basically this. And here's the the likeness of Solomon's uh, riddle. He's saying that you can figure out where a dream comes from based upon the activity that's been going on in someone's life. Now, you guys know what that's like, right? Remember when you first started the job that you have right now? And you were so consumed with the daily activities that it impeded, it got into your dream life. Remember? I remember. It happens to me sometimes, like if I have to change a septic system in my yard or something, and I'm so steeped in mud, and and then I dream about it. And he's saying, listen, you can figure out what's going on in someone's life because of the dreams that they have and so just like that he's saying this is that you can figure out someone's intelligence level by the amount of words (laughs) that they speak now that's true isn't it if someone talks a lot it's not real hard to figure out how intelligent they are now that's not to say that someone who talks a lot isn't very smart they might talk a lot and they're very smart i'm just saying that for my own defense because i'm talking right now you know but the bottom line is that you're going to figure it out. You're going to know if this person knows what they're talking about or if they're just talking, you know. But here's the point, and why it relates to what Solomon's saying in prayer is this, is that when you and I stand next to God, we're all stupid, right? Measuring with one another, there's a scale there, right? You can be smart in human terms, but when you stand next to God, you know nothing. I know nothing. And so Solomon's saying, listen, don't be overly wordy, Just be simple, be calculated when you come to God in this way. Now that just helps me, it helps me to to have freedom to know that I can come to God uh, in this simple uh, kind of way. What's the call that he's given to us here in this idea of being more poised to hear than to speak? It's this, that we realize that we're talking to God, we're talking to the king of the universe and therefore we should be sober and we should listen. We come poised with an attitude that God, I'm putting before you these issues that are in my heart and in my mind but I'm coming with the expectation that I am going to hear from you and that there's going to be some direction that I'm to enact in my own life and let unfold in the determination of your will and the future. Second thing that Solomon tells us concerning prayer is don't say it, just do it. So point number two, if you're taking notes in this two of four, he says don't say it, just Do it And it's in verse 4 Where he says this He says When you vow a vow unto God Defer not to pay it A vow is a promise Making a promise to God He says Vow not to keep it Or defer not to keep it For he has no pleasure in fools Pay what you have vowed Do what you said Better is it that you should not vow Than that you should vow And then not pay Now how many in here Have ever made a promise to God I have God, I promise that I am never going to do that again. God, I promise I'm never going to react that way to that thing, you know, again. And we make these promises to God. Now, for me, and probably for you too, a promise or a vow comes from a determination somewhere inside that I know what God wants me to do. Right? Why do we make promises? Because I know this is what God wants me to do, And so what I do is I make a promise that, yes, God, I will do what I'm feeling or thinking that you want me to do. And I'm making a vow or a promise that I'm going to do it. Okay. Now, what Solomon is saying to us here is he's saying, don't do that. He's saying, you don't have to make a vow before God. In fact, the New Testament is emphatic. Jesus said, don't vow, don't make a promise. Just let your yes be yes and let your no be no james would say to us don't vow don't make vows paul would allude to it in second corinthians chapter one so we're not to make promises to god why doesn't god want us making promises to him here's why because more often than not what a promise is is an evaluating time of whether or not i'm going to do the thing that i'm vowing remember the parable that jesus told Um, Where there was, I I, I wrote down where it was, but I have no idea where that is. I think it's Matthew 21. Jesus told this parable um, where he said that there were two sons of one man, and 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 the father said to the sons, he said, "You guys go out in the field and work today. Want you to be busy. Go do." And one of the sons says, "You bet, Dad. I'm going. I'm going to go." And the other one said, "Yeah, right, Dad. I ain't going. I'm not going in the field." But they went out from their father's presence. And the one who made the promise, the one who made the vow said, well, he thinks I'm there. He'll never know if I am or not. And he never went, never made it to the field. The other one, the one who said, I ain't going, he said, man, that's my dad. That was disrespectful. I know what I'm supposed to do. And without a promise, he went and he did it. And Jesus said, which one did the will of his father, the one who said or the one that did? And obviously the answer is the one that did. And so if I'm in prayer with God or in conversation and God puts in my heart or there's a realization in me that there's some action that I'm to take, then God doesn't want me to make a vow and a promise and then evaluate and decide whether or not I'm going to keep it. He wants me to do the thing that I'm sensing he's putting in my heart to do. He's looking for the action and not the promise. He doesn't want that. Now, Why is that so important? Here's why. Notice what he says in verse 6. And pay attention because this is why it's important, why it matters. He says, suffer not your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. That is by saying and not doing. Neither say before the angel that it was an error or I made a mistake or I thought I could but I actually can't. Don't say that. And here's why. He says, why Should God be angry at your voice, and listen, and destroy the work of your hands? You say, whoa, that sounds harsh. That's a big penalty. No, 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 listen. It's not a big penalty. It's a practical consequence. How so? Listen, listen, church. Listen, Christian. I know I'm making God sound very official here, but that's just because Solomon did in this particular context and passage. But here's what you need to know, is that God loves you very much. And He is very committed to your best and your fulfilling of the purpose that He has for your life. And because you and I are on earth and we can't see all things clearly, it's very important that we're submitted to the leading and direction of God to bring us from where we are to where it is that He knows we'll be the most blessed and where we fit in things. But the journey of going from where we are to where he wants us has many steps that don't always all link together and make sense in our mind, but they make sense to God. And sometimes, listen, something that he is telling you to do doesn't make sense in the context of the big picture, but it's very important in the context of where God is seeking to bring you. And if you fail to come through on something that he has given as an action at this step, then you can be tearing down the work of God in your life through your disobedience. Or through your non-obedience, we'll call it that, because it's really what it is. Just not doing what it is that God's called you to do. Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Walk around the city once a day for seven days, and on the seventh day, walk around The city seven times and then you'll see what i'm going to do Now that made no sense in the context of the goal. The goal was to defeat the men of jericho and to take their city No one takes a city by walking around it, but that's what god said to do Now that was a cost involved with that obedience It cost time They had seven days the men of jericho to adjust their situation to get ready to defend against an ensuing army and an ensuing enemy There was a cost of Joshua's reputation if the plan didn't work. This was your great plan, almighty general? (laughs) We're going to walk around the city. Woo, we're so scary, you know, the whole thing. Listen, there was a cost associated with that obedience. But had they not followed through, the walls never would have fallen, and the people who had no armor and no weapons would have been left to their own devices to fight a battle that they were completely unequipped to fight. And sometimes God tells you and I to do something that costs us something because of what it's going to do three or four steps out. And if we fail to obey because we're evaluating whether or not it makes sense, then we tear down the work of God, what he's doing in our lives. It was one such time in my own life. It was the only time in my life I stood in an unemployment line. This was going back many, many years, probably 16, 17 years ago. And I, I, I was conflicted about doing it. I was kind of newly saved and, and seeking the, the, the will of God and all things. And I remember going to the office. My brother talked me into it because I didn't want to go there. He said, you pay for it. You should. I'd be the first one. you know. So I'm like, all right, I'll go. So I go there. I walk in. And I get in line. And it was one of the clearest times I ever heard God speak to me. It wasn't universal to everybody. He spoke to me as I was standing there in that line. And he said, this is not where I want you. I don't want you to do this this way. Leave right now. And I did. I just... I was uncomfortable anyways already, so I stepped out of line, and I went. Three days later, I got a job that turned out to be one of the most important jobs I had in my life, and one of the best provisional jobs that I had ever had, and even looking back, that God just, in in so many ways, used that. And I never would have landed that job if I had the comfortability in that season of being on unemployment. didn't make sense at the time. It cost me something but it turned out to be the best decision. And so it's so important, not that we make promises. Okay, God, if you know that God wants you to do something, if you know that God is asking you to repent of something and it's going to cost you, do it. Because you can be tearing down what God has lined up three or four steps down the road. Don't say just do. Number three, we see it in verse 7, is that not every impulse that we have in prayer is a vision from God. Notice what he says. He says, for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. In other words, in the multitude of fantasies, in sitting too long with your own thoughts, he says there are many words and there are diverse vanities. In other words, there are times that you and I, we can be sitting in a quiet, solitary place, fellowshipping with ourselves and having caffeine visions. And we can mistake what we're vibing on or excited about with something that God is saying to us. And we can leave that time saying, well, God spoke to me and he wants me to do this. Or God spoke to me. And sometimes it's not a revelation of God. It's a byproduct of my own fantasy. And he's saying, listen, beware of that. He's saying the solution, the remedy to it is to fear God. The New Testament says this. It's First Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul. He says, prove all things. First Thessalonians 5.21. Prove all things. Meaning that if you sense that maybe God is speaking something to you, Don't act impulsively on that or presumptively on it, but rather prove it out and make sure that something is the will of God, especially when it has to do with changing big parts of your life. One of the most helpful things anyone ever said to me is that the shepherd is never dependent on the IQ of the sheep, meaning that God is not dependent on my level of intelligence or sensitivity to his voice to get it right every time. And so what I have learned is that when I sense that something is from God, I say, God, say it again. God, reveal it in some other way. Confirm what I'm thinking might be your voice or your will. Confirm it in a way that's unmistakably you, because I'm not smart enough to know if I'm making the right decision in this. And God, who knows me, is faithful to do that. And so sometimes that means waiting on him and proving out the things that we're sensing might be from him. And then finally, number four, we find it in the final verses in verses 8 and 9 of this, uh, is that when you're praying for someone else's cause, remember that God already sees, already knows what's going on. God already knows. Watch this in verse 8. He says, if you see the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, don't marvel at the matter. For he, that is God, that is higher than the highest, sees it. He regards, and there be higher than they. In other words, there are those that are higher than the oppressors. There's a higher power than those that are doing injustice to others. Moreover, he says, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. In other words, this is sometimes you see something, you're praying for a cause. You see injustice. You see something that's wrong. You see something that's unfair. It breaks your heart. It burdens your heart. He's saying, listen, when you come before God in that intercessory issue, he's saying, understand this, that God already sees and already knows and that his authority has already worked out the things that are going on behind the scenes in that, and he's at work in it. And Solomon adds furthermore in the closing, verse 9, he says that moreover the prophet of the earth is for all, the king himself to serve thy field. In other words, what he's saying there is this. He's saying, listen, oftentimes when you see this issue that's too much for you to understand, listen, the answer is already there. The answer is right there. I mean, even the king who has the highest authority, he is still dependent on what's right in front of him. The field you know he still eats from the field you know there is a there's a brother very close friend of mine um, who several years ago just had a real uh, burden in his heart for um, homeless people and so he started to uh, really reach out and really minister to a bunch of homeless people uh, in the city of Poughkeepsie and, and some of the surrounding areas around here he developed a real relationship with them and he really really put a lot of effort into trying to help these homeless people get on their feet And oftentimes, he would come away, in fact, every time, he came away frustrated because as much as he would bend over backwards to try to help these people, they would sabotage the help that he was offering to give him. And the conclusion that he came to after a while is that these people often are homeless not because they've fallen on bad times or, you know, they they can't get out of their own way. Oftentimes, it's because they're homeless because they want to be homeless. And he came to that determination after just painstakingly trying to pull some people up out of that situation. And the reality of, of life is that a lot of times the situations that we find ourselves in, the solution is right there. It's right out in front of us. It's not that, it's not that we're cut we're back from it. We are in the situation often because we want to be in that situation. And God is making the way. It's there. there there's help for anybody that needs help. And so Solomon is saying, listen, God already knows, so pray about it and then leave it at the feet of God and then get on with what it is that he is calling you uh, and that he's given you to do. What's the conclusion? I love um, the fact that Solomon finishes with this uh, whole concept of um, the answer's already there. I think it's a a fitting end for you and I, because I ask you this question in, in closing, and that's this, is what issue are you facing in your life right now? And and there's not a single person here, myself included, that doesn't have issues that they're facing in their life right now. Because ever since Genesis chapter 3, page 3 of the Bible, this world's been broken and we've all had issues in front of us right now ever since that time. And so all of us are facing it. We all have issues. And I ask you this question uh, in the middle of it, is that what choice are you making in terms of how you're handling the issue at hand? because every one of us has the same choice, is that we can take the issue or issues or things in our life that are troubling us and we can do one of two things. We can either, one, seek to handle it in and of ourselves or we can choose to cast our cares upon the Lord and bring it to Him and see His hand of help come underneath that and to bring it to its proper conclusion or its proper resolution. And we are faced with that choice Every day the answer is right there out in front of us The king himself is served by the field God in his presence and his help and his power is right there all the time The other night we were sitting at our table and um, we had a a family devotion time um, Becoming more rare as as lives get busy and more complicated but um, We weren't like in a particular place in the bible so I, I just shouted out to the kids I said someone say a letter someone shouted out I And I said someone else shout out a number Sarah, my left, she, she shouted out, 46. I said, all right, turn to Isaiah 46. And so we opened up our Bibles, and we read Isaiah chapter 46. And it, uh, totally unplanned, unscripted, unknown. We just, you know, we're going to read the chapter. And it just turned out, at least for me, I think for them too, to be just this profound time of God speaking to every one of us. Basically, what God says in that chapter, he opens it up by saying this. He he says that Bel, who was an idol, pagan god, Bel bows down. Nebo, another idol, stoops. Now, Bel means helper, Lord. Nebo means elevation, you know. And he says that these things stoop. They they are crushed. And then God goes on to say that what they're crushed by is the burden of the same burden that's crushing the people that are putting their hope in Nebo and Bell to try to help them to alleviate this burden. And so what God is saying, watching from heaven as he's looking down at his people, he's saying, listen, you have an issue and a problem, and you're trusting in some earthly thing to help you with your issue. And you're trusting in some other earthly thing to try to get you enough clarity in your mind to be able to see your issue clearly to help yourself with it. And what God is saying is that those things aren't working out for you, are they? Because the burden that you're seeking to be helped with is absolutely crushing those helps as much as they're crushing you and you're still under this incredible burden. But then God says this in the midst of it. He says, well, listen, he goes, I, me, I, God, I brought You through the birthing canal and I can carry you throughout your life Even until you have gray hair and even to the grave In other words, I am not only able to carry you in your life But I'm able to also carry the burden that's crushing you And I can even carry Nebo and Bell that are crushed under the same burden that's carrying you I brought you through the birthing canal Now listen, you might not remember that, but that was a very traumatic and intense experience that you and I all faced. And how much help did you give God to make sure you made it through that experience? None, but God brought you through it, and he says in the same way I brought you through that, I'm going to bring you through every other intense thing that you go through in your whole life too, if you'll put your trust in me. So what are you doing with the issue at hand right now? Are you leaning upon your own understanding and resources, your own intellect, your own things? Or are you saying, God, I, like Joseph, in this prison, have access, invitation, and resource with you that I could have no other way. And I choose this day to put my trust in you and to pray. What's the consequence of saying, eh, I don't really like prayer, don't need to, don't want to, not important, I can get by without it? Do you know what that's like? It's like a soldier who's on a solitary mission in an enemy land who is dependent upon real-time connection and communication with central intelligence in order to fulfill his mission. He's not in his own territory. He doesn't know where he's going. He needs intelligence along the way to see where the pitfalls are and where the enemy is. And the intelligence that sees the whole landscape needs to be able to communicate with the missionary in order for him to find his destination and fulfill the mission that he has. And you and I are all that solitary soldier in enemy land. And if you and I say, you know what, I'm going to go on without prayer. I don't need it. Important. I don't want to talk to God. It's too intimidating or it seems, it seems unnecessary, without value. The consequence of that is that you will wander. You will fall, stumble, constantly overtaken by the enemy. But what God gives us is this amazing privilege, this amazing resource. And so tonight, I ask you, just by way of response here, as we close out our message and our, our study, our time together tonight, maybe you're here, you're a believer, but your prayer needs a defibrillation. Your prayer life has become more of a prayer death. You feel like, you know what, I just need a Holy Spirit infusion to reignite my prayer life. God, I, I've kind of distanced myself from you as a friend, as a spouse, as a sheep as a servant but Lord I know I need to pray I want to pray I want that vibrant connection with you but Lord I need your help please help me and if you just would maybe you'd let me pray for you tonight you just say that's me or maybe by the raising of your hand the lifting of your hand to heaven you say, would you pray for me tonight I want to pray I know I need to pray I need more prayer in my life would you give it to me oh Father I just pray tonight Lord for my brothers and sisters and for myself too Lord, that you would help us, that you would fill us, that you would bring us again to that place of of dependence, that you would pour on us a spirit of grace and supplication, that we would know how to to find you, to seek you in our time of trouble. Oh Lord, infuse that into us now. Give us an outpouring of your love. We ask for it in Jesus' name. You know, um, in my own life, and I just share this to be vulnerable with you, I go through seasons. I have seasons in prayer that are very good and vibrant. There's, there's this active connection. And, and I feel really intensely linked with God. Like There's just there's this, this prayer life is humming, you know, and it's good. I love that. But I, I also go through seasons when it's not like that. Sometimes longer seasons where I find it difficult to pray, I find it hard to pray. I feel distracted. I feel disengaged. You know, I feel distant. And, I, and it's not happening. And here's what I want to share with you tonight. If that maybe is you, you're in that place. Is that, is that you're probably thinking that, that I'm going to say that, well, when that happens, my life just starts to go downhill. And things just start to unwind and temptation begins to overcome. And I just, things are, listen, that's not true. That doesn't happen. When my prayer life isn't as vibrant and, and alive as I would like it to be, God doesn't stop being faithful to me. I don't stop enjoying his blessing and his leading in my life and his presence and his goodness and his kindness because my prayer life, it's just a season. Sometimes we go through seasons like that, even in our human relationships. Communication isn't there the way that it should be. And it's important that you understand this, is that the love of God is not a reward because everything in my life is ordered the way that it should be. But the love of God is something that is given, and it actually is a motivator and that which enables me to become what otherwise I could not be. And So tonight, if if you just need more of God, just receive His love. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's not going to tear your life down because you're not praying like you should. He's going to bring you along, but it's to our benefit and our advantage that we be people that pray. So my prayer for you is that you experience that, that you enjoy that, that you know. And if you're here tonight and you don't know God personally, he's a personal God, I want you to know that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his son, the incarnation of God Almighty in human flesh, who lived the perfect and righteous life that you and I both failed to measure up to. But then he laid down his life willingly and he made himself a sacrifice, taking the punishment for your sins and mine upon himself so that the righteousness that he earned through his perfection could be given to you if by faith you would simply receive it as a gift. And if you don't know that God personally that did that, right now he stands and he knocks upon the door of your heart and he says that if you'll just open yourself up and allow him to come inside that he'll pardon and forgive all of your sins and he will put himself inside of you in such a way that he will enable you to pray giving you the words giving you the strength from the deepest place and giving you the capacity to hear his voice and understand his will that's his promise and if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as the savior of your soul and the lover of your soul and then the shepherd of your life, I invite you right now, maybe you would just lift your hand and say, I want Jesus in my life. I want him to come inside. I see a hand. Is there anybody before we close that you would just say, Jesus, I want you to save me. Church, I'm asking, even if you know God already, would you pray with me, everyone in the room, praying out loud, these words. Dear God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the promise of eternal life. I believe that you died and rose again for me. I ask that you'd forgive my sins and that you would come into my life. That you would show yourself to be God, Savior, Friend, Spouse, Shepherd and Lord, I put my trust in you. Please fill me with yourself. Give me the fullness of knowing you. Not a religion, but a relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys praise the Lord with me for his goodness, his kindness. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.